0: This is the Empowered Conversations with Alina and Christina podcast. We are two educators of color that have been in the game for over 15 years. Thanks for joining us as we break down and speak on systems that were not built for black indigenous people of color and the ways we address them head on.
1: As we lean on each other in this work, it would be big for us if you took a moment to subscribe, rate, and review our podcasts. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to them. Also, follow us on the Instagram at Empowered Conversations Pod, where we build community and support one another in this work. All right, let's get into this episode.
0: Hey, Christina! Hi, Eileen. Well, welcome back to our second episode. It has been really nice to hear all of the positive feedback that we've been getting um, about the first episode, and so we're really excited to be back doing our second. Um, how has how has your week been?
1: You know, for well, so right now it's a Wednesday night. Um, and I already feel like it's Friday. I'm, I'm exhausted.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like, you know, even though we're still in distance learning and technically there's not a lot of staff members on campus nor are there any students yet, but we're still I want to say that it feels like we're still carrying on as if it's regular school, but not. I I, I don't know if that really makes sense. Well, uh, so I'll give you an example. It's like already within three days, you know, as an admin team, we're preparing for some type of hybrid schedule that's supposedly going to take place in. Mm -hmm. two maybe three weeks but we're still doing formal evaluations we're still doing instructional walks we are still planning state standardized tests so basically
0: acting as if we're not in a pandemic
1: sure yes I mean of course there are like it's it's a little bit, it's supposed to be, every each one is supposed to be simpler. Is that, mm-hmm. is that a word? But it feels like it, but it doesn't feel like it because it's like you're trying to adapt it to a visual, a, a virtual setting.
0: Do you feel like, I, I feel like this week, I kind of feel you on, it's only Wednesday, but it feels like it's Friday. I mean, obviously it's a little bit different for me because I'm not on the planning side um, since I'm not an admin right now, but I kind of feel like we're at a point where, yes, there's this pandemic wall that people have been talking about now that we're approaching a year, but also just this talk of coming back and it's it's it all feels like it's happening faster than we expected is almost exhausting me more than it usually would you know what I'm saying like I don't know there's just all these questions and like lots of conversations about what this looks like and a lot of unknown and so it's almost more tiring because there's it's stressful to try to anticipate all all of what could happen but then also to address all the concerns that you know my students are asking about my the families are asking about and the district is still trying to figure out and also send that information out to the staff. So it just feels like right now it's tiring.
1: Well, you know, I can't speak for other school districts, uh, specifically for the school district that I'm currently working at. We have slowly but surely been planning for Mm -hmm. some type of hybrid schedule, which I think is a good thing, but it's like no matter how far in advance you plan mm-hmm. it it just it changes yeah because everything is just reliant on what's currently happening mm-hmm. or or the status of the hospitals or specifically what's happening in your county
0: yeah
1: let alone the state right mm-hmm. so there's only so much planning you could do yeah
0: yeah no i mean it'll be interesting to see the next time we talk what what's actually happening um and where we're at then because it could be where we're preparing to be back in the office and or on the campus in um you know the
1: following week so we'll see but um, you're talking about because I'm already back on campus. I, I've been oh, right, campus.
0: right. And we're in different situations because, <laughs> and that's so interesting. And I, I reflect on that a lot because obviously like I'm not an administrator. And so I'm now a staff member in this, like in the teacher's union and things need to be negotiated. And there's no like us going back without there being an agreement in place. And meanwhile, when I, consult or like you know meet up with my admin team or the administrators on the team they're there they're on campus and so for them it's like okay when are you guys coming back so it's yeah it's different you and I I haven't been on campus and you've been there
1: but you know it's like even within the bay area it's different Mm -hmm. and like I you and I we we have a lot of admin friends All across the bay area and there are some admin teams that have the choice too if if they want to come in or not or they too are in a union and and their admin union does not you know they they recommend that you do not go on campus or there are certain districts where the admin team supposedly gets paid a little bit more if they decide to come, in, uh, come on campus. So it, 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 it's very interesting. A lot of side talk, uh, admin side talk, a lot of uh, group text messages to share our events and feelings about it.
0: Yeah, it, it's interesting to see it from this other side. <laughs> well, well, Christina, I'm glad that we're here and connecting and been also thinking a lot about kind of our why. Um, and really, I mean, our why is what led us to start this podcast to change up the system and, and try to change it in a different way. Um and so a lot of why we became educators has to do with our own journey. And I want you to tell us about yours today. And then I can talk about mine next time. Because I think, to div- first of all, we don't want these podcast episodes to be super long. We get it. Like our time is <laughs> precious. Um, and so we want to you know, commit to keeping these episodes shorter than an hour, you know, sometimes we might get there, but um. so I want to kind of separate the two because it'll, you know, we'll, we'll talk about how much they, they merge and we, we join our paths, Um. but let's talk about yours today. Um. And why don't you start from the very beginning and take us along the journey from your point of view?
1: All right. Well, I'm like, where do I start? <laughs> um, well, I'll start in the city of Oakland. So I was born and raised in Oakland. I lived with my grandparents practically all my life. I, I was raised by my grandparents. Um, my grandparents, they immigrated here from the Philippines. My grandpa was in the Navy And uh, when he and my grandmother first got married, they settled in San Francisco. Mm. And then they moved over here to Oakland. So, I mean, the cool thing is it's that, you know, the house that I was raised in, that was the house of mom and my uncle and my aunt was also raised in as, as well. So, I mean, I practically went to the same schools as um, my, my mom and my aunts and uncles. And it's very interesting in itself because when I would ask them their school experience, and by the way, Eileen, they went to Bret Hart. Okay. So that's, where, that's where you went to middle school. Uh-huh. So when they would tell me about their school experiences At Bret Hart and at Skyline, it was very different Mm. from my school experience. Um, I, I, you know, just to fast forward everything, I, you know, I met Aline when I was in high school. I wanna say we were juniors, and we met because we were in what was called the Future Teachers Academy. Mm-hmm. at Skyline High School. And it's funny because I always ask you, you know, who, who you keep in contact in the Future Teacher Teachers Academy, because I'm always wondering like, okay, who within the Future Teachers Academy actually ha- uh, continued their path in, in education? Sorry, y'all. I know you guys could hear the the train. I, <laughs> I live in Jack London across the street from the train station. So you'll probably hear that throughout this podcast. Um, you know, it's, this is, now this part of the conversation, I feel like, you know, Aline, you and I have talked about this mm-hmm. a lot. And, and I feel like this is what, drives us as educators, uh, as a former teacher, as a current counselor, as a current administrator Mm -hmm. of why, why we are in education. So uh, speaking of my experience, like I, I was in AP classes at Skyline. Mm -hmm. The funny thing was, was that I was never automatically placed in AP classes, unlike some of my best friends who were just automatically placed in AP classes because of teacher recommendations, I I had to vouch for myself or I had to ask for my mom Mm -hmm. to call and complain that I wasn't recommended for an AP class. So I always wonder like, well, what would happen if I never vouched for myself or I didn't have a mom Mm -hmm. that I could tell to call up the school? or let alone have cousins, older cousins, to recommend that, that I should take AP classes if I wanted to go straight to a four-year college. And then I also had a counselor, my academic high school counselor, who I felt was very supportive. I, I felt like I always had set appointments with him and. We discussed my grades and next steps. And by the way, next steps meant specifically in my experience, four-year colleges. Mm -hmm. He never talked about anything else, like no two-year, no job, nothing. And I feel like me saying those details, it will connect once you listen to the next episode and Aline explains her experience.
0: Yeah, because we had the same
1: counselor, by the way, but I'll go into that later. Yes, and then now I had an older brother who was three years older than me. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to speak and tell his full story. Cause I, I feel like this, that's his story to tell, but it's, he and I, we occasionally talk about our experience going to K-12 schools in Oakland and he always noticed that I'm very prideful in mentioning that I went to Skyline High School and that he notices that I'm still really tight with a lot of my friends, a lot mm-hmm. of my former classmates. And he would just laugh and I mean, he, he's happy for me. He's happy that I had a wonderful experience, but he was like, I did not have a, a wonderful experience. Like I was glad to get out of there. Um, I felt like the, educate, the educators, meaning like the teachers, the administration, the counsel, counselors, he's like, I, I, I felt like I never received the support that I needed. And the only time they reached out to mom and dad was when I was in trouble or when I had a D or an F And so that he was like, that was the only time, you know, it was always like bad phone calls home. So it's like, I I feel like for this podcast, like specifically with my experience, I I really want to hone in on that experience at my high school experience, because that is, that's kind of like my driving force. Mm. Like I, I don't want someone's experience where I have one sibling who said that they had a wonderful time Mm -hmm. at school and then the other one saying like oh I hated it or like one friend saying oh well you were sound like you were supported by the counselor but yet I wasn't Mm -hmm. so I feel like that just uh, as an administrator how I guess the question for me is like what am I doing to ensure that there's consistency and a shared vision amongst all staff members. Mm-hmm. So that regardless of the student, wh- where they are in their journey as as a student, like it, it, it doesn't matter what program they're in. Yeah. That they feel that they are always supported.
0: Let me ask you.
1: This. So, I mean, I'll oh. oh, go ahead.
0: I'm going to ask you this. So before you kind of like hone in on the high school experience, was there anything that you hold on to or you remember from like elementary or middle school that shaped who you became in high school? <laughs> well, I'm curious because I, I mean, you and I, we went to the same high school, but we didn't go to the same elementary school or middle school, but we lived really close to each other. And so that's also, you know, part of our own experiences. Um, but I'm curious if there's anything that you recall from, you know, K-8. Well, back then, I mean, it was different because back then middle school was seventh and eighth grade. Anyways, we can get into that. But anything that set out to you in elementary or middle school?
1: No, remember back in our day, elementary school was k Six and then we right. junior high, seven. Junior
0: high. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. So, like, we're, we're putting a, a time stamp on us basically. <laughs> um,
0: so, yeah, going back, elementary school or junior high, anything?
1: You know, what's interesting is that elementary school, I could remember every single one of my teachers. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I could name every single one of my teachers. And in middle school, I can probably remember three names. High school, I could probably recite five. Huh. And I always ask myself, why, why is that? Um, I guess in elementary school, right? It's like, since you're with them all day, you, you develop this relationship with them. Yeah. And I, and, and I'm going to be honest, like, I, I really feel like I had a very good um, K6 foundation, really good, especially with uh, reading and writing, like I, and, and the ba- basic math, like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like they built that that solid foundation so that I can be successful or I was su- successful in junior high and in high school. I, I, you know, when I think about it, I was an average student in kindergarten, uh, from kindergarten to ninth grade, to eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And it was only until I was approaching ninth grade that I have cousins because a lot of my cousins are, are older than me. And they were already in college, or they already graduated from college. And they're just like, all right, like, you can't be aiming for just C's now. Because I think I was, I would say that I was a C student, maybe B. And they would say stuff like, you know, if you want to go to a four-year college, if not, like, you'll be living at your parents' house. Do you want to live at your parents' house? (laughs) in your 20s and I'm like oh no I, I want I want to have my own place I want to have my own money and they're like all right well you need to do x y and z and so ever since then I would say like starting in ninth grade I was all about getting like 4.0s and everything and I think that's what also inspired me to advocate for myself and and take AP classes
0: so then what was it like for you at Skyline and those AP classes after you had to push your way in pretty much?
1: You know, it it was a good experience. And I think one of the reasons why it was a good experience is because my best friends were in the classes. Mm. And so one, the friendships, two, Just being around like minded individuals because Hmm. everyone in the AP classes, they too were for sure going to four year colleges. Hmm. Like it was kind of a given.
0: Was that because of the messages that they were receiving within those classes or because they knew that that was what they needed to do to get there? And, you know, it was the expectation set by either their family or like you said, family, like um, like cousins, or where do you think that that came from?
1: You know, that's a really good question. And I, I'm, I'm like going down the list of my friends right now. And my friends that come from a mixed background mm-hmm. and I'm not just talking about ethnicity wise, I'm talking about just social class. And I know some of their parents were college graduates. A lot of them were immigrants, a lot of them maybe had a high school diploma. It, it just, it, it's a range. Hmm. But what I did notice about, or what I do recall from these classes is that there was a lot of self-motivated students. Like I honestly feel like the students in the AP classes, they would have been successful regardless if they had, support hmm. from educators at school. You know, they're that, 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 uh, that 10%. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm also interested to hear like what made you join the Future Teachers Academy? And I'm, I'm trying to think of that to myself because you just t- threw it way back. But like, what got you, like how, how did that even happen?
1: I knew that I wanted to be a high school English teacher when I was in eighth grade. Mm. I had, and this is the sad thing. I can't even remember my core teacher's name. When I say courts, because she was my English and history teacher. Mm -hmm. But she was so nice to me. And and just very supportive, and she saw that I had a passion for reading and writing, and I I remember that she gave me my first Shakespeare book, hmm. and she she bought she bought a Shakespeare book for me, and. I'm not sure if she's supposed to do this now, now that I'm like thinking about it from an administrator's point of view, Uh she wrote me a pass and she did this like once a week. She wrote me a pass so I could chill in her classroom during her prep period. Mm -hmm. And we would read the Shakespeare book together. And it, it was like, we had like this, our own little book club.
0: No way. yes (laughs)
1: and I that just really inspired me and she was just like you're I could feel it you're going to be an English teacher I was like yes I am going to be an English teacher
0: so you knew this since eighth grade
1: yeah I did and then even and then I had an older cousin who was a teacher Mm -hmm going through the credential program and we we were really really close and then I was really close to my grandpa's sister who was in the Philippines but yet she was she was a professor in the Philippines and she also her position is very tough to describe she she pretty much sounds like she would be like the secretary of education in the Philippines oh yeah yes And so I was very much inspired by her or she was like a Dean of a, of a university. I I don't know, but all I know is that she, she ended up doing really well and she even was paid to get like master's degrees here in the United States and was offered positions here at uh, universities in Mm -hmm. in the United States. But she. Now I want to take my education and I want to go back home to the Philippines.
0: Nice. So you're surrounded by all of these like inspirational women educators and it sparked this joy within you of like, yeah, I'm going to be an English teacher in the eighth grade. Go, you go into the Future Teachers Academy, which at that time was only 11th and 12th grade. I think it was 10th through 12th, right? It
1: was 10th through 12th.
0: Yeah, it wasn't starting in nine. So 10th through 12th. And what about like after high school, like gra- after graduating, what led you to the school you chose for undergrad? I'm not going to give it away. I want you to say it. Um, <laughs> but like talk a little bit more about undergrad and then beyond that, because we also have to highlight the fact that you have several degrees, including a doctorate. So tell us a little bit about after high school and your journey through um, post-secondary.
1: Well, it's really funny because I I was really into hockey, ice hockey, when I was a junior, senior year, to the point where I actually believed that I was going to be a hockey player or I was going to have a job that had something to do with the NHL. So I applied to a school that i never really heard of all the way in michigan uh university of michigan ann arbor and i got accepted to it uh-huh but my parents were like no you're not going mm-hmm. and and they were just like plus you you want to be a teacher and then it's like it goes back to my cousin who is a teacher and she was like you know what you, you should go to a state school because state schools." I mean their their history is is a teacher school and nursing school. Mm-hmm. So it only makes sense that you go that you go to a state school. So I I went to San Jose State and then I, I majored in English in preparation for teaching. So it's very specific. Mm. And I think that in preparation for teaching is very state, the state school-esque.
0: Mm-hmm more practical
1: yes it, it was definitely very practical and because I majored in English in preparation for teaching it was killing two birds with one stone because when I went into the straight into the teaching credential program already three or four classes I already got credit in the credential program so I was able to find a full-time teaching position after one semester in the credential program. Nice. And then after that, I went to Holy Names for my master's and that school is a hidden gem in Oakland. hmm Private I school. I agree. And what I love about that experience is, I really learned about myself. And when I I say about myself, I'm talking about um, Filipino American history, which is something that I did not learn Mm -hmm. during my K-12 experience.
0: Did you even learn it in your undergrad?
1: You know what? Um, Yes, yes. Uh, not in depth, mm-hmm. but en- but enough to intrigue me. I, I think I took um, freshman year, I-, I think I took Asian American studies, mm-hmm. which was eye-opening, right? Because yeah. it gives you a little taste of all the different um, Asian ethnicities. So yes, I, I- they did touch on Filipino Americans, but What specifically for my thesis, I focused on the lack of Filipino American history Mm -hmm. in um, California adopted textbooks. Yeah. Which then I researched Filipino American history specifically in California. Mm -hmm. And so it was just like, wow, we, we have so much history, we have so much contribution to our. California society but yet it's not known no so that that was really dear to my heart and then I continued uh, getting a doctorate at Mills College which is another hidden gem Mm -hmm. it's absolutely a beautiful beautiful school so and that is um in educational leadership.
0: What would you say, like, you said you learned a lot about yourself at Holy Names. And it was because you were able to do the research and learn more about Filipino American history within California. What do you think that would have done for you if you had learned that at Skyline when you were in high school?
1: you know i i just had this conversation no way so with um with my with my current admin team about just our our why and mm-hmm. how we identify and I, I i opened up to them and i i told them that specifically during middle school and part of high school too Like, I felt like I had, like, an identity crisis
0: Mm.
1: where I wasn't sure what to label myself. Mm. I wasn't sure if I was Asian American or Pacific Islander or just plain Filipino American. And I remember I... I I can't believe I shared all that with them because it felt silly. I I remember I I admitted to them that um, on the weekends when I would hang out with my cousins, I was like a mall rat. And I would specifically go to malls where I knew there were a lot of Filipino boys. (laughs) (laughs) So... (laughs) <laughs> we would go to the mall in Concord. Take any opportunity to go to Vallejo or Daily City.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And. I, I remember writing on my Jansport backpack, you know, like at the bottom. It's like yeah. Yeah. I remember and I, I wonder if I still have this backpack. Because I would love to take a picture of it.
0: That would be it's awesome. It's
1: like all this, all this graffiti. And yep. I remember I remember that I would put like Penai Pride.
0: <laughs> no way. I don't remember that. Was that in high school?
1: You know what? I really, I think that was junior high. Okay. I, I hope it was junior high. Because yes, I, I don't think I had that in high school. But I think I was always just trying to prove that I was. Mm. filipino like i wanted to like purposely separate myself from other asians Mm. i i which to me i i don't know i like i think back at it and it's just so silly and um I, i i'm still trying to unpack that yeah but then it kind of goes back not kind of it relates to like our current climate and culture going on right now Mm -hmm. with with everything right even with um the attacks on asians it's here especially Mm -hmm. in chinatown Mm -hmm. so that divide that that divide amongst people of color right what what is the reasoning behind that I mean I I don't have the full complete answer for that but I feel like it's it was like we were we're all a part of this systemic racism and I feel like we're always trying to I don't know like just somehow separate each other and just something that I've always been thinking about and we were just really unpacking that too like we were going down memory lane and when I say we I'm talking about the admin team that we had this conversation with just really trying to think back of when we were young
0: yeah well I kind of want to go I want to I want to point out two things about what you just said so one I think it's valuable that you have an admin team where you can have those conversations with not just that you can have those conversations with but that you're having those conversations
1: period absolutely
0: and and for sure and two again going back to like what would it be like if you had that experience that you had at holy names when you were in high school even before that to learn and, re- and, and see yourself in the curriculum and learn about Filipino American history within California. And this goes across the board, right? Like what if we did have more of a rich ethnic studies curriculum that was taught then starting, you know, earlier than high school? Like maybe the conversations would be different because we would learn about each other and understand the like what each culture has contributed to this country, but to California as well. And so I'm, I just think about that when I hear you talk about your, your educational journey and kind of the different parts of when you decided you wanted to be an English teacher, but then also when you connected to learning more about yourself and, Connecting to your identity and like how you want to present yourself.
1: You know, this is probably my fifth admin team I've worked with. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like it, it's a story in itself why I'm saying my fifth admin team. And I've only been an admin for eight, nine years.
0: Mm-hmm. So that,
1: that's a lot of changing there. That, that, that's to unpack in another podcast.
0: Yeah, we'll need to unpack that.
1: <laughs> and so in terms of my current admin team, this isn't the first admin team that I've worked in that's been an admin team of color. I would say that this is the third time, my, the third admin team that I've had that is an admin team of color. But I will admit, this is the first admin team where we explicitly Mm. talk about systemic racism, where we specifically and intentionally Mm. unpack and analyze everything we do. It's amazing to, to be able to do the whole cycle of inquiry
0: yeah
1: after a school event
0: mm-hmm.
1: after a staff meeting after a pd
0: mm-hmm. and, and
1: even within that cycle of inquiry we'll relate that to race Help. I mean real talk Aline you and I were on an admin team together and I know you and I we we reflected a lot mm-hmm but I don't think we ever really talked about race like that.
0: Well, not as a team,
1: especially. No. I mean, we're like reading articles. We're, we're, we're reading culturally responsive teaching. A book. Mm-hmm. Analyzing chapter by chapter.
0: So now that you're... And one thing, I mean, I think it's like hopefully it's not just because of the times that we're in. And I feel like, you know, hopefully all admin teams are doing that, not just now, but will continue to do that. And I know they're not, but I, you know, this is like really what the norm should be when it comes to school site administrators. But why, like, I wanna go back and, and ask you this, like you knew you wanted to be an English teacher in eighth grade. And you went on to be an english teacher and we didn't really talk about that because i think you know that's beyond the educational journey but when like at any point in time when you were in all these different years of school and yes mills kind of you know highlighted this and and it was specifically like a joint program for admin credential and doctoral program but when did you know you wanted to become an administrator, a school site administrator?
1: Funny thing is, I, I never planned on being a school site administrator. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't. It was during my sixth year of teaching. I was, um, I was a department chair, English department chair. I was a PLC lead teacher, and it was my sixth year of teaching reason why I want to emphasize the six is because that was the year where I felt not that I was feeling myself but I I finally (laughs) felt confident Mm -hmm. like I I wasn't staying up to like wee hours of the night grading papers because I knew what to grade what not to grade Mm I Felt like I, I was good with lesson planning, I was good with unit planning. I, I had my tools, right? Like I, I had, yeah, I, I had my tools. Like I knew how my Monday through Friday looked like. Cause I realized as a veteran teacher, you don't need bells and whistles.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You don't need a new lesson plan every day. Students like consistency. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, like I, I had like, I had like my own set of computers. So I had like a Google class. That was a year. Like we were really testing out Google classroom. So it was like, I, I felt like, all right, cool. Like I'm, I'm pretty confident. And the confidence show, because we were, we were a PLC grant school.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that meant that other schools or other school districts who were looking into implementing plc practices or a plc structure at their school site they would come and visit our school and do classroom visits and i remember at least two to three times a month i would always have someone visit my classroom Mm -hmm. And I would get emails directly from the visiting principal, the visiting teachers about how much they enjoyed my classroom. So I was like, all right, cool. Like I finally got this down. This is great. And then one day I was called into the office, the principal's office, which I was never, I've, all of my six years of teaching, I was never called into the principal's office and I was scared. I thought I was in trouble. But it turned out that the principal was offering me to become a, a, an assistant principal. Mm-hmm. And I, at first I didn't want to, and I, I remember this conversation. I was like, oh no, I, I never intended on being an, as, uh, an assistant principal or let alone a principal. Um, I like where I'm at, like I'm I'm comfortable right now. It took me six years to get here. Why would I wanna change that? And after a lot of reflection, after talking to my parents, friends, I, I ended up becoming an administrator. And here I am nine years later, or eight and a half years later. I've been an assistant principal, um, co-principal right now I'm a cur- a site curriculum specialist high school experience middle school K8 it's it's been it's been a journey
0: yeah actually that's a really good way to end that has been a journey and i think i'm looking forward to you know talking about mine and how they connect because it goes, and this, all, this will all make sense to everybody listening where both Christine and I really believe that reflection is key when it comes to being an educator, um, but also going back to the why and thinking through the journey that led you to being in the classroom or in the hallways working with students um, and recalling on the different relationships or experiences that got you to where you're at now and not losing sight of one, how it felt, but two, how you wanted it to feel. Because I think that's important. And that's a good way to lead us into to my experience next time. So. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back in two weeks.
1: Bye, y'all. Have a good evening. Bye.
0: So we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Empowered Conversations Pod. Check out our content and DM us. Also, please help us grow and rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thank you. Looking forward to next time. Bye. Yeah.